Good morning, Cornerstone. Super excited about this morning, even when uh, things happen to not go the way that they normally do. This is probably my favorite worship service of the year. Um, just to be in this space, I've wanted to be in this space and worship with everybody for a while now. And while we were kind of forced into this space because of the heat not working in the sanctuary, uh, I'm glad to be here uh, with everyone. So thanks for coming out as we celebrate Jesus today. Um, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 8 and 9 if you want to turn to there in your Bible. Um, there are Bibles up here, uh, New Living Translations, and there's also Bibles on the coat rack that's uh, over, over yonder in the hallway. So one of the things that I wanted to, to start off with this morning was showing a video. It's a music video, and I don't like Christian music videos at all because I think they're weird, and when you watch people worship, it's even weirder um, on a video. But uh, this past week, um, or actually two weeks ago, I saw this music video called Christ by this uh, Christian uh, husband and wife duo, poor Bishop Hooper or Hopper, Ron? Hooper. Hooper. And I don't know, it, Tessa sent it out. Did anybody get to see, to watch that this morning, uh, the video? That's fine if you didn't, it was in the link. You should definitely sometime today or tomorrow go and watch the video. Um, so one of the things that we're not used to seeing beauty in is genealogies in scripture. Like a lot of times when we look at genealogies in scripture, we're like, well, this is boring and this is just a bunch of names I don't really know or recognize. And I tell you what, I broke down crying on Monday as I listened to the song because there was this beauty that was brought to it through the musical um, uh, element there that the mundane genealogy, the mundaneness of our everyday lives, of of being in relationship with others and of having families, whether biological or spiritual or through friends, uh, there was just this real beauty to it. And so I highly recommend doing that um, and checking that out. And there was also just this build up of what was coming, this build up towards Christ. And that's the whole point of the genealogies in Matthew and in Luke, that there's this buildup of hundreds of thousands of years to the Messiah, to our Savior, to the one that is going to rescue us. And I think about today how we're caught in between two Advents. We're caught in between the Advent, the first coming, Advent means coming, of Jesus when he came in the flesh. But we're also waiting for the second Advent. We're also waiting for the second coming of Jesus. And that might sound, you know, weird to be like, so Jesus is going to return from heaven and set all things right sometime. That's only as crazy as thinking about a man being dead for three days and being resurrected from the dead, and somehow that forgives our sins. So is it crazy? Yes. And it's miraculous, and it's a wonder working of God. I love that phrase that Tessa read in, that, in the Matthew scripture, this wonder working of God. And, but sometimes it's hard to see that wonder working. So uh, Ecclesiastes is a book in the Old Testament. It talks about that there is a time to build up. So these genealogies build up to Christ. But there's also a time to be stripped down. And both of those things are kind of part of life. And so today as we look through Isaiah, we're not looking at the build up towards Christ. We're looking at the stripped down people that then ends with the promise of the Messiah. And I think a lot of us, even though we're thousands of years removed from Isaiah and the Assyrian invasion from the Middle East, that a lot of us this year have felt a stripped downness in our lives. We have felt a plundering in our lives. We have felt like with COVID and some of the, the stuff that's happening in the world around us, um, that there's just like the stripping down of like, what do we have left? What do we have left? So just as the genealogies build up to Christ, our passage in Isaiah, starting in Isaiah chapter 8, is going to be this stripping down of God's people, 
with this uh, posture towards Christ. Um, I did try to print out a couple notes that are on the back of your lyric sheets that just have the, the scripture references as we quickly go through this section. Um, I, uh, as I was thinking about what Isaiah is talking about today, he's talking about God and the wrecked remnant. The wrecked remnant, meaning that there is this small part that is still alive, but it feels like everything else in our lives or in our community or in our nation or in our church family or in our personal family, there's been some kind of wreckage this year. And looking around at some of the faces, I know some of that wreckage personally that you've experienced and that we've experienced this year. And some of that wreckage is because of our own sin that we have made these choices. And other times it's this brokenness and this evil and this sin that has come upon us that we weren't necessarily looking for. We're not like, yeah, bring it on, but that happened to us. And yet this wreckage has stripped us down. Many of us have stripped us down and be like, what is the core thing that we hold on to? There's this remnant that we must hold on to in Christ of who he is, what he has promised, what he has done. And so as we look at Isaiah, we're going to see that God is with the wrecked remnant, and that can sometimes be a hard word to hear. So as we go through this text, I want you to take note of two things. I want you to notice how God does his thing in the middle of pain and in the middle of uh, all kinds of uh, unwanted circumstances. And how he leads us, he leads his people to something wonderful. And then repeatedly in scripture, uh, God takes our mess and our failures. And what he does is that he looks to redeem it. It's not necessarily that he has brought upon this destruction or this evil, which is a possibility. But it's not necessarily, I'm not going to say for like a hard and fast fact that the pandemic was specifically God's working. However, what I do know is that God is looking to use anything in order to glorify his name. Even when we get stripped down to our bare essentials, God is looking to somehow speak truth and love and grace into our lives. So look for this. Notice the wonderful thing that God is going towards, even in the midst of pain, uh, looking to bring something good out of it. And then listen to the word of God through Isaiah. What counsel does Isaiah give to the people? What counsel does uh, God give to the people of God that are thousands of years ago, and yet what can we glean from it today? So ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit right now, even though we're thousands of years removed from this text, what can we glean from your word today? What would you speak to our minds and our hearts aside from the written text, but based out of the truth of your word, Holy Spirit, speak to us as we continue today. So let's, uh, let's uh, fly through Isaiah chapter 8 and 9. Not, not the whole, but kind of the whole. We're going to start in uh, chapter 8, verse 5. So again, this is the um, Assyrian invasion that is happening. There is a people from outside that are coming to overtake uh, God's people, Israel and Judah. And this is in part because these other nations are evil, but it's also in part that God's people turned to evil ways. And it's also in part because God's people turned away from the one true living God. And this is part of God's discipline and judgment on his own people out of long-term generational care for them. So starting in verse 5. The Lord spoke to me, to Isaiah again, because this people have refused the waters of Shiloh that flow gently and rejoice over Rezin and the son of Ramaliah. Therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river, mighty and many, the king of Assyria and all his glory. 
and it will rise over all its channels and go over all its banks, and it will sweep on into Judah. It will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck, and its outspread, outspread wings will fill the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. So what does Emmanuel mean again? God with us. So here it's interesting because God with his people in this instance is that God is bringing judgment is that you are my people, and because of that, I'm going to bring right and correct judgment because we need, you need to be course corrected. And so the people were trusting in this other uh, political leader, Rezin, who was brought in to be in alliance with the people of God and to save them while they were not looking to God himself to save them. And what happened in the biblical story is that this guy, Rezin, ended up becoming a tyrant and a traitor, and it ended up hurting the people of God even more because they trusted in somebody other than God himself. So Emmanuel, God with us in one hand, means that we're welcoming and God is bringing his judgment because his judgment is good. But then we have verses 9 and 10 which kind of flip this Emmanuel concept to those that are oppressing God's people. Verse 9, be broken you peoples and be shattered. Give ear all, your, all you far countries, strap on your armor and be shattered. Strap on your armor and be shattered. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak a word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. So just as God is with us in judging, God is also with us in his compassion. And on the sheet, you might notice that I put the word pity. And I put that word because it's one of those things that humbles us, that God has pity on us. But nobody wants to feel like, oh, I, I pity Barry. Like, if I say that to Barry, Barry's like, shut up, Justin. You know, it's just like, get away from me. And yet that is the desperate state that we are in in different points of our lives. That we actually need pity. Not this like, oh, Barry, I'm so sorry for you. I pity you kind of a thing. But this real deep, heartfelt compassion from God that says, even if you deserve what you're going through, I want to be with you in it that I want to pity you, like even if judgment is coming, I want to be with you in it to try to redeem it, to try to change the situation, to try to change your heart towards me and towards the world around you. And so the people of God are up to their necks in trouble. That's what the text says. The floodwaters have come. They're up to their necks. They're wrecked, but there's a remnant, right? You can still survive if the water is up to your neck. You can still breathe. It's not a comfortable situation by any means but there is a remnant and you are still left alive. Going into verse 11. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people. Do not walk in the way of either these pagans or the people of God that are not actually acting like the people of God. Uh, one person I read uh, sums it up really great in this next section of, of what's going on here. It says, it was not merely idolatry against which he was warned, but the whole spirit and tone of the society of his day. He was not to entertain their suspicions or to hope in their hopes or to fear their fears. Verse 12, do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. And do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall regard as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense, 
and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare of the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. And I love that, that what Isaiah is saying is that God is everything. But how is your posture towards God? Is God going to be a place of refuge for you? Or are you actually going to trip over God because you don't want to obey God? You don't want to seek God. You don't want to receive mercy. You don't want to receive the pitiful state that you may be in. And so there is this thing where like God is for us. And again, he's so for us that he would be quote unquote against us in order to bring out some good for his glory. And that's a hard thing to swallow sometimes because we want to make the scriptures and we want to make the gospel all about us. And luckily we have a God that is loving and loves us and uh, is gracious to us. But ultimately it's this sense that he wants to be in a, in a good relationship with us. That's why he sent his son to show us how much of his love that he has for us. But that love needed to cover over our sin because our sin and our brokenness and our wretchedness are something that we do deal with and that we do know personally, even if we don't want to admit to it. And we also need to be saved from these broken places where I'm doing everything quote unquote right. And yet this uh, water of overflowing evil or of death or of brokenness is just overtaking me and God, I need you to rescue me. Is God your refuge or is God a stumbling stone for you right now? And in reality, not in some intellectual game, but are you actually trying to seek him even in the midst of the waters being up to your neck? Or are you giving up? Or are you maybe trying to shake, put your hand out from the waters and curse God with your hand too? Be like, this is all your fault. I didn't do anything wrong. Or this is all your fault. Why are you letting this other thing happen to me? And I don't have all the answers to the questions about the things that happened to us. But God is still working for his glory and for our good. Uh, Chapter 6, verse 16, bind up this testimony, seal the teaching among my disciples, Isaiah says, I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob and I will hope in him. So even when we don't feel God, even when we don't see God, even when we don't hear God, Isaiah is counseling us, the word of God itself is counseling us to wait and to hope. And we're going to see in the next section about sometimes we get um, ahead of ourselves in this waiting and hoping and we look for different voices that are not the voice of God. Um, There's a very uh, important part here. So uh, verse 18, behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and warnings in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. Now, if you just read over that, you might not understand what those names mean. On the back of your sheet, uh, one of the, uh, it's the one that's dead center in the middle of your sheet called family names. Um, So basically what Isaiah is saying that the names that we have as a family for Isaiah and his two sons, they mean something and they're actually signs and warnings. And so one, Isaiah means God is salvation. Not resin, not this political leader, not this hope I have in something else besides God, but God is salvation. And then one of his son's names, which I don't recommend naming your kid this, um, means spoil quickly, plunder speedily. And I'm not going to try to say the Hebrew name for that. It's in the scriptures in chapters uh, 6 and 7, I believe. Um, But that's one of his sons. So this is a warning to the people of God that there will be wreckage that comes into your life. There is going to be a plundering that is going to happen. But then we have the name of the other son, 
And what's the name of the other son? The other, son, the other son's name means a remnant shall return. God is with the wrecked remnant. That even as we as individuals are being stripped down, there is something that remains because of God's goodness and glory that we must hold on to. And honestly, we don't need to hold on to it. Or I shouldn't say that. We need to hold on to it. It's not a given that we're going to hold on to it. But whatever God is stripping you down in your life to, there's a stripping down of that, and there's going to be a remnant of goodness that comes. Now, um, how many people have watched uh, some of the Marvel movies, uh, specifically Guardians of the Galaxy? Has anybody watched? So, okay, maybe 10, 11, 12. So there's this character in Guardians of the Galaxy that really displays this well, and his name is Groot. I am Groot. And he is this big mammoth tree, and I wish you could see him. He's on your handout, but you can't see it because it didn't copy, right? And, and Groot is this big, massive tree thing that's basically indestructible. And yet, at one point in his life, for good reasons, not even for bad reasons, he is just about utterly annihilated. There is only this small twig that is left as part of who he is. And yet that twig, that remnant was enough to regrow him. And there's some conspiracy there about, is this the old Groot? Is this a new Groot? Whatever. But there was this little remnant left that was able to then bring new life out of, of what used to be. And so that is how God works too, that even as he's stripping his people down, whether individually or corporately, he is looking for new growth to come through the Messiah. Uh, verse 19. And then they say to you, so this is uh, after the warnings, after saying God is hiding his face. Um, then they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter. Should not the people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? And so what's going on here is the people aren't hearing God's voice one way or another. And instead of waiting and hoping, they're going and searching for a life-giving word through dead things, through spirits, through demons, through just other things that are not the living God. And they're trying to get that word because they need to get that fixed. I need to have some kind of control. I need some kind of word to come to me so I know how to go forward. And maybe the only way of going forward is actually to wait and to hope and to remain in the love of God, even in the midst of pain. But the people of God here are going out after other voices, after the dead. To the teaching and to the testimony, if they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They have no light in them if you don't stick to the revealed word of God and the person of God. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against the authorities, against the king and their God, and turn their faces upward. It's not my fault that this stuff is happening. It's probably the president's fault. It's probably those people in power. Ultimately, it's probably God's fault that this is happening. And instead of taking any kind of uh, soulful look in as to how we got to this place as an individual or as uh, a community, there's this wanting to blame shift off of ourselves and, and say, those other people are the problem. Those other people are the reason we're in this stripping down phase. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be turned and they will be thrust into th uh, thick darkness. So even as they were looking for a word of light that wasn't from God, the exact opposite is happening. 
that as they are receiving and listening to a word that is not from God, they are being thrusted further and further into thick darkness. And then finally, uh, Isaiah 9. But there will be no gloom. Remember, notice how we went from judgment and pitying and everything, and it's going towards goodness. It's going towards Jesus. It's going towards the Messiah. And these things that are about to be said have both been actualized in the coming of Jesus at Christmas time, and yet we are still hoping for them to be fully realized. Because as you read this, you'll be like, this isn't completely true yet. And we don't have to stick our uh, head in the sand and be like, oh yeah, everything's fine and perfect. It's not. Part of the Christian faith is to believe in what has happened in the person of Jesus as a historic event. That Jesus came, died, lived, rose again, and he ascended to the Father. And we also, as Christians, believe that he will return to set all things right. And in between these two advents, we do live by the Spirit and we live by grace, waiting, not necessarily passively, but in correspondence with how God leads us. But there will be no gloom, uh, chapter 9, verse 1 for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. So these two, these two uh, tribes, Zebulun and Naphtali, would have been at the top of the land of God, of Israel. And they would have been hit the hardest by the Assyrian invasion, and they would have had the most uh, pagans there too. And so there's this idea that even the pagan part of the country that got wrecked and ransacked, you know what's going to come out of there? There's going to be a gateway of salvation for all people. Because where was Jesus from? Galilee. He was from Nazareth, which is a town, and Galilee is a section of town. So it's pointing towards Jesus in there, that there's going to be this gateway that it's not just for the Jewish people, it's not just for this tribe, but actually the salvation is for all of us. And for at least 98% of us, we are the Gentiles that we are not the original people of God that this is speaking to. And so this is the thing that we can be grafted into this story that is for all of the earth. We, are, uh, we benefit from this. Verse two, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, and they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. And if you remember the story of Midian, there was this small army of God that was going against a huge army of God. There was this remnant of God that fought the battle against this huge army, and they won. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Simply meaning that while there was the oppression, that oppression is gone now. And now uh, God's people, because of God, are victorious because of this person that is coming. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful. Counselor, Mighty, God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
And so one of the uh, one things that I do want to point out here is that word government that is used there. This, this word for government is only used two times in scripture and it's used here in Isaiah. So it's not the normal word that we might see for dominion or any kind of power play. And I just, you know, this is all sanctified imagination. I think it has some basis. But I think like Isaiah was like using this word differently to say like the government that God is going to bring is not going to be like anything we can think of. It is not going to be this uh, democracy where we get to vote for things. It is going to be this monarchy with King Jesus at the head. And yet that monarchy is not going to be oppressive. That monarchy is actually going to invite the people of God to continue to partner with him in the renewal of all things. And even when uh, Isaiah uses this word only twice here, um, if you look at the root word for that word government, the, the word means power with God. And oftentimes we want to exert power. Oftentimes governments and dominions and other places of agency want to assert power, but they don't necessarily want to do it with God. But with the coming of the Messiah both at the first advent and at the second advent, this government is going to be different. This government is going to be like, uh, unlike anything that we've ever seen. And the two words that stuck out to me in that list of names that are there for this, this uh, year are the word wonderful and counselor. And it's not clear, it's not necessarily wonderful counselor. It could be wonderful, comma, counselor. Um, and I don't know that it's a huge difference about that, but th- this idea of Jesus being wonderful at this time in our lives and of Jesus being counselor at this time in our lives. Jesus is wonderful. The divine workings and character that are beyond our human capabilities, that are far too difficult for us to fully grasp. This is part of Jesus's wonderfulness. Sin forgiven, death defeated, the devil disarmed. But Jesus is also our counselor. The practice, the dirt human guidance of purpose and plans in our lives is available. So there's this bigness, this wonderfulness of God, of Jesus as God with quarks and quantum physics and atoms and all this stuff that he created and the way that he is somehow working in all of history, even when it looks like a complete mess. But then there's this personal thing where God is sitting across from you, having a conversation from you, giving you counsel, sitting with you. Maybe not necessarily giving you a distinct answer, but definitely showing you a path of love and of truth to walk in. But we might, you might say, and I, and I feel you on here, God doesn't seem wonderful. God doesn't seem to be giving me counsel right now. And I'm there with you, and I believe that we can all relate to times of that where we feel that. But the fact of the matter is that that's just not true. Even if we think that, It's not that God has abandoned us in that way. Even in his hiding, he is counseling us. Even in his stripping down of us, he is doing something wonderful. So um, Eugene Peterson uses this phrase, uh, a spiritually damaged brain, where what happens with this is that a spiritually damaged brain only makes us aware of the immediate stimuli and the immediate sensations, which make us miss the wonders of what is going on that what has gone on in the past and what God might even be doing just kind of like out of arm's reach. And so many of us, I think, maybe feel like spiritual brain damage right now, where all I can see right in front of me is this junk. And yet God is still working past that. He also uses this other phrase of sensory deprivation that makes us deaf and dumb and blind to God's flourishing salvation work. 
And yet, even in the midst of our deaf, dumb blindness, even in the midst of our brain damage, God is still seeking us out. And God is still seeking to speak to us one way or another. And in that speaking, to heal us. But in this relationship, there can't be, even in waiting, we're doing something. Even in resting, we are waiting in an active way. And so two of the Christian disciplines that are so common to us or should be are prayer and scripture reading, right? So prayer and talking, conversing, communion with God and scripture reading, the embracing and the studying, the hearing of the story of God, uh, these are all ways that help our space, our, our souls and our minds heal. Even when we have these feeble attempts to try to seek out God in these practices, they help to heal us as God is washing over us. But I will say this, that I think there's a third component, that while prayer and scripture reading is like kind of a a thing that, yeah, we know we're supposed to do that, and just knowing you're supposed to do that but not doing it doesn't really help at all. In fact, it might make you more upset with yourself. Um, There's also this other thing, this humility that is very key in prayer and in scripture reading, this humble spirit. And you can be humble and bold, and you can be meek and courageous, and you can be submissive in prayer and in scripture reading and still be smart. This isn't about like turning off your brain. This is about seeking God through these means. But prayer without humility becomes often a manipulative or infuriating practice because you're doing it just to get something from God rather than to get God. And scripture reading without humility becomes a seedbed of arrogance or a seedbed of control or a seedbed of, I would even say, uh, disbelief if we're not actually submitting to the scripture. Because the scripture, thousands of years old, that, are, that is the word of God that speaks to us now, are sometimes hard to understand. That is a fact, and to be able to have that humble space. So Cornerstone, as we go into Christmas week, as we think about the wonderful counselor, um, on the back of your sheet, there's this verse, Psalm 119.29, and this is a verse that the, the, the elders have been in um, the past month or so, and I just wanted to read it over us as we consider that God is with the wrecked remnant, that we might feel wrecked, but there is this life-giving little peace branch that is still alive that God is going to bring new life out of if we hold on to him. And so let this be our prayer uh, as we go into the next season. Put false ways far from me and graciously teach me your law. Keep me from deceitful ways. Be gracious to me and teach me your word. Keep me from lying to myself. Give me the privilege of knowing your instructions. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as you engage uh, in your seeking of God, even as you're being stripped down, embrace that humility. Again, you can be humble and courageous. You can be submissive and smart. But as you go to the Father, uh, God with us means that he is both stripping us down and also building us up at the same time. We live between the first advent and the final advent where a measure of Isaiah 9 is manifested, but where there is more of God's rule and reign to come. If you feel plundered during this season or any season, if you feel ravaged, whether it is because of your own sin or because of evil that was poured out onto you or because of just circumstances that is under nobody's control, hold on to God. Remain in God's presence. Jesus is Emmanuel. Jesus is God with us. Wonderful counselor. God is with the wrecked remnant. Amen.
I'm going to ask Tessa and Ron to come up, and then we're going to close in one song. Merry Christmas, everybody, um, and let's stand to worship. <laughs>